Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman. With me this week, surprise, is Joe Lupton. Hey, Joe. Hey, Bruce. So I think we're going to jump right into Central Bank story. And I guess I want to tie it up by saying, you know, boiling the frog is, you know, alive and kicking. <laughs> if I can mix my... Yeah, you've got all my, four metaphors there. <laughs> excuse me for that. But the basic, you know, way I'd start into this is that we went through the first two, three months of the year feeling like that was a snare that was going to play out as central bankers were responding to the um, stronger growth, the more sort of persistent inflation. And they weren't like coming in and saying, hey, they're going to kill us, but they were looking like they were going to continue to lean into this. And then we had a little bit of a hiccup with the uh, banking sector stress. And certainly the the Fed at least gave us some signal they might take a, a more cautious approach and, and pause uh, for a little while. But but certainly this week doesn't feel like that. Um, and there's not only a Fed signal here, but there's other central banks as well. So I guess I'll I'll stop there and just say, why don't you, you know, sort of lead into this and and give me your your take on the week and we can go from there. Well, I mean, you know, in some sense, the, the, the Fed did pause this week and we should take uh, or continue, I guess, uh, you know, had the pause there. We, that is in some sense a less hawkish move. Um, it's not surprising that they leaned in a more hawkish direction in terms of their forward guidance. Uh, you know, we did take out a number of tail risks that have been concerning us, banking sector stress, debt ceiling. I think there was a sense of some weakness in the growth numbers. Uh, and, you know, all of those, I think, have turned in the other direction in a world where inflation is staying still elevated. Uh, and so, yeah, it does kind of tilt you into that boiling the frog scenario, which is that they're probably going to have to do a bit more. I think what's interesting in the in the SEP, the summary of economic projections, was the the I guess sense of optimism, right? I mean, they they added fifty basis points of hikes, but we also revised up growth. Um, yeah. We still feel like inflation gets back to two and a half percent in this forecast, uh, in the in the, yeah. in the Fed's forecast. So, I mean, there is a, a sense of optimism there that maybe we don't think is going to happen. We, we think there will be an eventual break and, and recession. It's just going to take longer, uh, longer to happen. I mean, yeah, I, I think let me ask you, do you think are you also putting a little bit more weight not only on the boiling the frog, but the uh, the, the Goldilocks scenario? Because that's what the Fed has here is the Goldilocks planets aligning soft landing scenario. So let's take the first segment of that, which is the. You know, the idea they became more optimistic on 2023 growth. In fact, there's no longer anybody who's forecasting a contraction, which is a, a break from where we were at the last two SCPs. Um, I also think it's notable that there was broadly consensus here. You know, I thought this was a divided committee and we'd see a pretty wide range of opinions expressed, maybe even dissent, but also some dovish views. And you got a full 12 out of the 18 um, participants at this meeting looking for at least two um, rate hikes. So, you know, I think there's a low, well, at least two, two more rate hikes, Yeah, two more, two more rate hikes. Um, so um, there's a resolve here in this uh, SCP and uh, you know, Powell is describing it as a continuation of the 
tightening story at a at a slower pace, which I think is consistent with the boiling the frog story, um, which I think ultimately doesn't make me feel that good about soft landing because I think in the end it even if you're on even if you tell me we're on some scenario of getting inflation lower, I think unless the economy is is breaking, the Fed's going to keep going too far before. Uh, it sees those results in the data, and I, you know, I think. I mean, it's kind of interesting, right? Because the market, market. The, I mean, not that we're going to psychoanalyze the equity markets, but the equity markets are, in a sense, took this as a positive, even though we added fifty basis points of hikes, and it's probably because they are buying into the, you know, they're saying, "Oh, the Fed's telling us soft landing." That's in, and, and it's this. This well, the Fed has been telling us a soft. The, the Fed has been broadly telling us a soft landing there have been some members that have had recessions in their forecast but the the median fed voter has been basically having a soft landing in the forecast for the last six or nine months so i'm not sure how it has but don't don't you think like i feel like powell has been going back and forth right not quite a year ago but jackson hole right was the shift to hey there's going to be pain here and we we're a realization that we need to generate some pain i thought that was a kind of a euphemism for we recognize that we may have to induce a recession. And then things got incredibly hawkish all the way up in probably March, right before SVB. And it seemed like they were really on board with, hey, we're going to have to break something here to get this inflation out of the system. And then everything backpedaled. Uh, Now they're putting in more hikes, but you have this kind of soft landing built in of a one one percent growth this year, as you said, no one's forecasting recession. I, I just feel like they're kind of all over the place on that. Maybe. I mean, I let me kind of take it in a slightly different direction. You've got um, central banks that are on track for, you know, you're you're right in terms of saying, hey, there's a pause here. <laughs> okay, so yeah. we should we should recognize that. But basically, he opened up the July meeting. He they put two hikes in. You've got an ECB that comes in and says, hey, we're probably going in July, which was a little stronger guidance than we expected. And their forecasts were not that optimistic on inflation. They they are now looking at 3% inflation in 24, which is pretty high stuff from their their point of view. And, and you've got, got I, 25. I'm not even sure if I want to get started on the Bank of England, given the inflation, the wage data there. Uh, and of course, there, it's it's interesting. That's the one place where the market really is you know, looking for for considerably more hikes. The market in the U.S. is still not pricing much more in. There still is this genuine sense that the Fed will be in easing mode as we turn into 2024 on the on the pricing of the Fed. So the you know the, I mean, one thing I guess we should ask ourselves is we not only does the Fed have more hikes in, ECB is kind of talking about more hikes, but but we put more hikes in for the Fed. We, in our forecast, put in more hikes for the ECB. I think we're leaning towards, you know, probably maybe as much as 50 basis points more for the Bank of England. Um, do we change growth forecasts on that? Or is this a world in which we just think growth is stronger? Uh, do we start to think about putting in a, kind of a more material recession? Because the boil the frog scenario does have well, a I think. Synchronized I, downturn. I think that's what we do. It's just a question of timing, and I think this is where the timing of when inter- we change the forecast or timing of when it happens. <laughs> Both. Let's let's talk about the timing of when it happens. Uh, I'm not going <laughs> to forecast the forecast, but yeah. the I think the 
I think the basic point we've been running with here is if we are in a world in which inflation persistence is a broad issue across the developed market economies and specifically across the US and Western Europe, then the monetary policy uh, tightening is going to continue. If we listen to what central banks are telling us now, I think absent some scary growth numbers or much better inflation numbers, not just the deceleration, but much better inflation numbers, then they're going to be behind the curve in terms of being willing to pause and and patient here. So even if their objective is is to not generate a recession, there's a good chance they're going to go too far here. I think that's to my mind the the concern. It's not that they're try they're trying to kill us. Uh, I still think they're generally uh, you know New Testament deities, but I think New Testament deities who continue to lean against this boiling the frog, so to speak. I could unintentionally cause uh, a downturn. And that, that that's the part of the scenario which I think um, gets most credence uh, as a result of this, which makes me, you know, a little bit question why risk appetite has improved so much. I can certainly make the case as you did. You made the case for why, and maybe that's the right way to think about it. But I don't look at the central bank news from this week from the point of view of making me feel better about a, a soft landing. I think we can debate what the inflation numbers have said. And I think the inflation numbers are, for the first time really this year, making me feel comfortable about our baseline forecast that we get an incomplete but substantial drop in core inflation. Up until now, it hasn't been clear we we're going to get any drop in core inflation. Now I think you can see the goods pricing story starting to come in. I think services are more complicated in terms of forecasting where you are ahead. You know, We've been forecasting core inflation, which both in the US and globally have been running somewhere close to five thus far this year, going into the uh, the mid threes here in the next three to six months. And I think that feels feasible now. And as I you've mean, been I making actually the point- think, I mean, just as we're kind of getting to this point where we maybe there is this flip from New Testament to Old Testament, and they really need to drive a deeper downturn. The macro I don't think they flipped. Could... Flip no, no, there. no, no. I said we could be getting- there, right? I mean, I think uh -huh. there's a sense that we're evolving, right? We keep pushing up the terminal right now. In a sense, we were getting there in March. We weren't there yet, but it felt like we were getting there in March. And then the last, whatever, two, three months have been a, a, a pause in that, if I can use that word, uh, in that drift. And now we're back to it because all the tail risks are coming out. However, what I want to say is that while that's happening, I think if you look at the data, you can kind of see, to your point on inflation, is is starting to come off, but you're also seeing some some cracks, right? We haven't mentioned yet this week that, in my mind, probably the most concerning piece of data this week were the claims numbers in the U.S. Yeah, right. Those for a second week hit, you know, are up at 260. And you and I have kind of said. 265 to 275. If you sustain that, oh, you're going to say no. 275, right? Is that what you're going to say? Okay, that 10,000 is going to be the difference. I think if we stay at 265 for a for six weeks here, I think you're going to see a break in the labor market. Um, and so that that does worry me. Well, I guess the way I would look at it right now is I'm uh, I'm taking a haircut because of the funky seasonality of 10 to 15,000 on this. So I think we're probably in a more underlying sense, probably running something around 245, 250. Well, who knows? We'll wait and see. That's I know, no, I'm, saying. Just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, 
if you yeah, watch yeah, it so and it sustains 265 for the seasonal feet. bias is going to be around for a little while um and i you know i think there is a a flow issue here which is i think you're seeing and this is one of the messages from the last payroll report you're seeing at the same time that you're seeing uh, a layoff increase you're seeing continued strong labor demand which is not an you know there's a there's a behavioral question here which is the the behavioral question the behavioral uh pattern that you normally see is when there are uh significant moves up in layoffs there's also a significant drop in labor demand and you may have enough sectoral variation in the economy right now where actually uh you're not seeing those two things align in quite the same way um so i'm i'm kind of interested in watching this in a way that i'm not trying to ignore the signal from claims but i'm not sure how uh reliable past um guides are going to be to this we'll see we'll see as we yeah, go forward I mean, here in the next you're, it's absolutely right that we have to be mindful that the pandemic has kind of made some of the usual metrics less useful i think you can if if you can flip gears to inflation you could probably say the same thing that the inflation stickiness and that you're gonna come you could be coming off and this concern that inflation gets stuck and central banks may need to do more maybe inflation does come off so if you get resilient growth because of these uniqueness of the pandemic inflation coming off supply curve shifting out then you get the Goldilocks scenario, right? I but mean, I don't, is- I don't understand that. I mean, I, I, I can, I can understand the, the desire to see a, a Goldilocks scenario, but I'm not believing the underlying dynamics of supply and psychology suggest that once inflation comes off, you should have a sense that the unusual nature of this cycle will reinforce the inflation decline. I, I would say quite well, the opposite. What, what I'm saying is that the, the the pandemic had these kind of bottleneck type pressures, and we've been writing about since almost the, the start of the expansion that these speed limit effects are real and that they're gonna they're gonna disrupt supply chains and it's gonna take a long time for those to kind of work themselves out. And that those, while maybe not as transitory as we had hoped, are still ultimately transitory and are going to work their way out. And you're going to be left in a world with a supply curve that's shifting outward, and that's going to give you lower inflation and continued resilience and growth. I could see that in the goods producing industries, although I'd also be somewhat limited in how far that runs. I think a good portion of the goods disinflation that we're getting now is just that goods demand has been on the weak side. We've had a a factory output picture, which outside of China has been contracting for probably almost nine months now. Um, like but, the auto sector is still working through stuff, right? No, no. But look, we can break this up by piece. But I think there's a, I think there's a piece. What you're saying, I will uh, embrace uh, in the goods pricing, and I think that's where we're going to see the the disinflation be most pronounced here in the next uh, few months. Um, leaving aside the wiggles and waggles of U.S. used car prices and stuff, uh, you know, I'm not as convinced we're getting anything on the services side that's going to deliver that. And you have obviously the offset on that front, which is still pretty significant um, normalization support for demand and labor. Uh, and you still have um, the, um, you know, the dynamic in this that uh, uh, you're not getting uh you know, weakness in demand on the services side. So I'm not sure I see the inflation on that front, you know, coming off in a material way. 
but we'll see. I mean, that's, that's a big, that's a big part of the call. I know your, your secret desires is for uh, team transitory to win the, win the war. There we'll is. See. I mean, I've kind of, I've, I've switched gears to being more hawkish in the past <laughs> couple months, but I'm just stress testing the views here, right? If we want to start talking about the unique, I mean, let me let me put it like this: and we have to be fair to both the inflation side and the good. As, no, as no, and I think the, I think we side. had a, a little bit better news after a pretty bad run here that uh, has happened. And I'm with you yep. that there's there's things on the growth side that uh, we need to respect that have disappointed. Maybe we should turn. This has been a very U.S. centric conversation so far. Maybe we should turn to China for a minute because uh, yep. obviously one of the big um elements of this week's data is another another bad set of uh activity releases in yeah, china and may i i don't know bruce i mean like I, it was a little disappointing at the end of the day we're still running and we lower let me just say for the viewers I, if, if you haven't seen the data industrial production numbers were a bit weaker than expected not a ton weaker than expected retail sales were a bit softer than expected as well i think the the fixed asset investment is a sector we felt like really needs to start becoming up and that was disappointing we we did lower our tracking gdp forecast from three and a half down to i think what one one and a half one four um, yeah, which I think like you that. were saying that was your gut as well was that was going to happen. So you're right on that. But if you just look at the first half, we're still tracking, you know, pretty darn strong the year as a whole, our forecast, we're still tracking five, seven, which is, you know, above the government target of 5%. So I actually, on the data front, I'm not as concerned and I was never as optimistic on the private sector investment lift that some of us uh, were, were pointing to. The thing that's a bit more concerning, the thing that's a bit more concerning was the government coming out and going out to businesses asking what they can do to support growth, right? That, that to me was kind of like the pilot coming back and asking the people in the airplane, like if someone knows how to land the plane, <laughs> right? Something's not right. And maybe the, the you know, policymakers are getting a little nervous, then uh, maybe there is something there that the second half could turn out to be worse than, uh, than, than what we're expecting. So it wasn't so much the May data that worried me. It was a sense that policymakers are getting sufficiently spooked. Well, yeah, I think that does worry me a little bit, honestly, because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm interpreting the data in very much the same way you are, which is there's this very noisy up and down you see, and you want to look through both pieces of it. Um, and, you know, we got, um, we got kind of a little bit, uh, overly excited because a, a strong Jan Feb was also followed by a very strong March, and now we we're getting pessimistic because a, a, a weak April was followed by a, a, a still soft May. However, policymakers are getting concerned. It looks like they're gearing up. They're already moving on um, RRR. They've moved on rates. It uh, looks like they're going to start doing some other things, which is encouraging in itself in terms of providing some bottom for this. But in the the near term, the concern is that that takes time to work and that we're going to end up continuing to be disappointed um, as we make our way through the middle part of the year. And obviously, it's all about, from my point of view, how China interacts with the rest of the region and the rest of the world is less about um, the, um, you know, the China story unto itself. And that, that let, let me get to the last point, because we've got next week flash PMIs. Mm -hmm. We've had this conversation that's been ongoing here about the manufacturing sector 
the China story does link into that a, a lot more importantly than it does to some of the broader GDP kind of questions. So what are you thinking about manufacturing at this point, having gotten some more, uh, I think the, I think the European data generally was negative in terms of yeah. what we saw on IP. The U.S. was not so 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 negative, but generally how it wasn't strong. No, it was not strong. But <laughs> in the context of the weakness we've been getting elsewhere in the last uh, six or eight weeks, it's not so bad. I'd say it's yeah. actually okay. Cheering so, lowered expectations. <laughs> yeah. So no. So let's just sort of take stock of that and and give us a preview right. as we look towards next week and we get the flash. PMIs for June. We're already getting June data on that front. Yep, that'll be our first kind of material set of June data. Um, you know, viewers and readers of our research will know that uh, we've been focusing a lot on the good sector and, and a sense that the good sector has been uh, kind of lackluster for almost six months on the production side, that the final demand side was not great by any stretch, but was doing better. And therefore, you were getting an inventory drag. That should start to recover as we move through the second quarter, you're getting an inventory lift in terms of upping the pace of st stock building. Uh, similarly, felt like final demand was going to start to perk back up in a world where labor markets were uh, doing quite, quite well and after a, a pullback from some weakness earlier in the year. So all of that, put it together, suggested things should be starting to get better. I thought we were going to see some better numbers in the May PMIs, and that was just wrong, right? So kind of on our heels on the good sector recovery call, uh, I said after that that I'm going to double down and that I, I think it should come. So long as we're not falling into recession, the good sector should come back to life here. And, uh, and so the June PMIs, we're looking for improvement. So it's as simple as that. And actually, I was surprised when I was looking at what our team is forecasting. As as viewers know, a global team doesn't control any of the forecasts. But you asked No, me, I thought we did. <laughs> what happened? When did, I, when did I fall asleep and miss that change? Yeah. Okay. There's so many times you're falling asleep, Bruce, <laughs> when you are to start. Um, the, uh, manufacturing U.S., manufacturing PMI, three points. That's a big move. Euro area up 1.4 points. Um, less of a big move in, in Japan and UK. But I, the, the big picture is for the developed markets as a whole, manufacturing up two points, services down a little bit, and that will offset the composite number. Composite's running okay for the PMI. It's running in line with our forecast. So, um, so but I'm looking to the good sector. Well, that's good. And yeah. uh, I think we'll uh, <laughs> leave it there. Thanks for listening and hope we can continue the conversation again next week on JP Morgan TV. Thank you.